Welcome, listeners, to A Night of Shreds and Patches, an immersive actual play podcast. This episode features the talents of Drew Merzieski as Wyatt Fisher, Allie Grauer as Zio, Cameron Robertson as Emma Blackwood, Sydney Whittington as Cassidy Shard, Nick Robertson as GM and narrator. Hello, listeners. This is your editor with today's messages. The Kickstarter to fund Season 2 of the award-winning, all-ages-friendly podcast, Skyjack's Courier's Call, is live. This show is set in a fantasy world called Spear, a world of giant birds, skyships, adventure, danger, and folk magic inspired by the card game Illimat and the music of the Decemberists. Courier's Call features the talents of our own Drew Merzieski and Ali Grauer, as well as Palomi Pratap and Aaron Catano Saez. Head over to bit.ly slash sccs2 to check out the Kickstarter and learn more about the show. The Kickstarter runs through June 11th, and the link can be found in the show notes. And with that, we wrap up today's announcements and head into episode 10. Engage means fight. And so, join us. For now, our tale to yours attaches to carry hope a night of shreds and patches. We cleaned so much. Emma met the local wizard and got some electronics help and a job offer. We still had more cleaning to do, but fortunately the sweet shopkeeper's wife got us a reward anyway, and Zio remembered a thing. going out to the uh, local Advantia Cloister for Trial Mountain, as we do have a new crop of what they're calling the heated blankets, going out to our senior citizens and our young ones as well. The cold snap is just the beginning, of course, and the greatest threat to all of us is the actual winter to follow. But thanks to our local Advantia, uh, we do have a new bunch of heated blankets, which if you ask me, is just absolutely magical. I don't know how it works. I just know that it does work, and they are so toasty warm, and our little ones and our elderly are just going to love that when that cold snap sets in. We open to the sound of heavy footsteps on gravel. As Wyatt approaches his destination, we see his sturdy, worn boots as they crunch along. And we see worn stairs meeting these worn boots with a creak. And as we zoom out, we see Wyatt approaching this shack that the alderman indicated. The building lists slightly, almost as if it's leaning away from him and the news that he brings. 
we see Wyatt go up a couple of stairs onto this rickety patio to this shed. It's a house, but it looks more like a shed. And there's an old weathered door that he's standing at. And he's about to knock, but he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the picture. And he's looking over it and looking at all the people. And he turns it over and we see on the back that there are a bunch of names on there as well. And he turns it over one more time and puts it in his other hand and he knocks on the door. And there's a long pause and then you hear a shuffle as someone gets up from a chair inside and there's the creak of floorboards and the door opens a crack and you can see a lined and tired face with long blonde hair leaning slightly out of the doorway and a woman asks can I help you with something are you Mrs. Kilburn I'm I was Mrs. Kilburn. You can call me Miss Michaels now. Pleasure to meet you, Miss Michaels. And she opens the door and holds out a hand to shake. And we see Wyatt go in and give the shake as well. Alderman Wilford, he sent me down here to acquiesce some of your fuel. We don't have much in the way of extra fuel. We need it for the fleet. She gestures to the three boats that are tied up to a dock, and you can see the advent you ran into earlier is digging elbow deep into one of the engines, like a spider trying to rebuild a web. I don't know much about that, ma'am, but he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the acquisition form that Wilford gave him on how much fuel they need. I'm here to get this much. 24 gallons? That's correct. What did you do to get that sort of payment, sir, if you don't mind me asking? I took care of some bandits. Oh. You might as well come in for a minute. It's going to take a little while to uh, fill the cans. I appreciate that. He, like, takes his hat off and he steps inside. This place is not very well put together. There is a little wood-burning stove that is crackling away and a chair with a quilt hung over it where she was obviously sitting before you interrupted. There's a little bit of needlework on the ground. It looks like when you knock, she just tossed it on the floor. So she was doing needlework to keep herself busy, but doesn't have a lot of passion around it. And you can see there's a table and the walls don't seal all the way. There's little cracks of sunlight in some places. But what really dominates this room is that there's the fuel tank just outside the shed. And it looks like some sort of dispenser chute that actually runs into the room and into a trough in one corner of this building. And so it looks like the way that they get the fuel is to start a pump and get a siphon going and fill things in this room and then carry it out to the boats. Are you going to need me to get my own containers? No, the acquisition form also says that you're getting your own cans, so you'll have three of them by the end of this. There's a big plastic bin with a lot of, they look like just normal gas cans, but some are plastic, some are rubberized, some are slightly rusted metal. And she grabs a few plastic ones that are larger and sets one down and begins to do a hand pump on the side of this tank. And you can see the clear part of this hose start to fill with fuel and it comes up over a bend and then starts to drop down. And she says, well, this whole process will take a little while. 24 gallons is quite a bit. I'm happy to stand here and wait, or if you'd like me to leave, I can go too. You might as well wait. All right. So you took care of some bandits, huh? 
Yes, I did. Uh, did you know this man? And I hold up the picture. Any of these men? Yeah. Yeah, I knew him. All right. They used to live here, you know. Well, not here, here, but they lived in Wawa back in the day. I gathered as much. Mm-hmm. You probably already know that the older one's my husband, or my ex-husband. Yes, and I flip over the picture and I'm looking at it and I go, he, uh, he was a competent fighter. I don't know where he learned it. I don't know either, but he gave me a run for my money. She stops to look you up and down, and I think... Wyatt has the posture of somebody that is very comfortable with movement. Sort of that predator look of being able to move in any direction and being balanced. And she takes that in in a surprisingly quick glance and says, I guess he finally found something he was good at. Yeah, he died well. I told him that was going to happen. Can you imagine leaving a town living in the outskirts and attacking the people you grew up with, taking the boys that you taught and convincing them that was the way to make a living? Yeah, I can. I can't. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but I can. People get desperate sometimes. Do you want this picture, ma'am? You know, I don't think I do. I thought I might, but the fact that you've offered it to me, I don't know what I would do with it. That's another question, I guess. And we see Wyatt put the picture in his pocket and he reaches into his shirt and he pulls out a necklace and it looks like it's a flash drive of some kind on like a metal chain. And the flash drive has eight stylized eyes on them on both sides. And we see Wyatt take it out and rub his thumb over it a little bit and go, did um you or... Any of the people in these pictures, did they, uh, they follow your us? I know we don't in this town, but my ex-husband probably changed quite a bit after he left. They might have. Well, if you don't mind, or I don't know what... I'm assuming anybody else in this picture, as Alderman Wilford told me, they don't exist in this town anymore. The only connection is Kilburn here. So if you want me to remember him, or if you want Aranibus to remember them, I'm willing to do that. But if not, we won't. There's a long silence with just the glugging of fuel behind you as she keeps her face pretty carefully blank. And she finally breaks eye contact with you and looks down. And her eyes widen a little and she pulls a lever on the side of the hose, cutting off the siphon. Well, this one's full. And she busies herself swapping out the tanks for another one and starting the siphon again. Do you think people deserve to be remembered, sir? Yes. I try to remember everybody. Everybody I can. She looks a little thoughtful for a second and says, But you said you wouldn't remember them if I asked you not to. Kilburn is a man in your life. He's connected to you. He is connected to me, too, because I'm the one who killed him. But he has a stronger connection to you as someone who, at one point, I think, I don't know, probably loved. So it's up to you whether he gets to be remembered or not. What does that do, being remembered? Well, I guess, do you know much about Aranibus? I really don't. 
Well, Aranibus is a god of death, of remembrance. You can basically download everything you can possibly think of. If they have journal entries or pictures or whatever their life they tried to record, and you download it, give it to an advent, they'll download it, and it will go to Aranibus. And Aranibus will never forget. Hmm. And if you wanted to, I suppose, you could find an advent, look them up, and see their remembrances, their pictures, their words. Have you met our advent? I don't think that's a specialty of his. No. But I travel. I'll get someplace eventually, and I can download it. I have a lot of people in this. And he holds up the flash drive. Hang on for one second. And she pulls the lever on the tank and swaps it for the third one. And you can see she's set the full ones closer to you. She's not going to give you any more trouble because you have the official documentation and you've given her something to really chew on. And she starts the siphon a third time. And she walks across the room to a small chest that you hadn't noticed before and opens it and starts to dig through it. And she comes out with a little notebook. It's leather bound. It looks really old. It's been opened and closed so many times. The cover doesn't even seem to be in one piece anymore. It's held together more as a memory of a book than an actual book. And she holds it out to you and says, this was, this was Kilburn's. Why it takes it? Maybe there's some part of him that's worth remembering in there. But even with all this, I don't think I want him to be forgotten. All right. Then I'll do what I can. And there's a long pause as she stares over your shoulder, lost in thought, and you give her that moment. You've had this conversation a bunch of times. And the fuel continues to glug behind you. And then she cuts it off and she says, you seem, I don't know. I don't know what I expected from someone who was going to come and tell me my ex-husband was dead, but thoughtful isn't a word that springs to mind that often these days. Well, I'm not going to lie, ma'am. I've killed so many people. And I think somewhere along the way, I just realized that they were important to me as I was important to them. So I, I don't like killing. Given the opportunity, I, I don't do it. But more often than not, people want to kill you. And I'm not going to let that happen. Not yet, at least. Someday my number will be up. And I hope when my number's up, I get remembered. And honestly, if anybody does my job, they should be thoughtful. If they're not thoughtful... And that's just a butcher. Anyway. Well, I'm glad that you're not a butcher. Me too. And here are your 24 gallons of fuel. Thank you. And I feel like it's one of those, he picks up one, he picks up the other. He can't pick up the third one. He's like, I'll be back for this one. I'll set it outside for you. Thank you. My name's Jesse, by the way. He smiles and goes, thank you, Miss Michaels. And he walks out. And as you step your way down over the porch and down onto the dirt and vines, you hear the full clunk of the third tank being set on the porch and the creak slam of the door being shut and locked behind you. And so 
You make your way back to the rig. The grumbling and clanking of the advent in the boat engine behind you drowns out whatever you would hear from this little shack. But you know that inside there are tears. Wyatt gets back to the truck and sees Emma reading and goes, What the hell are you doing? Hey! Reading? You're supposed to be keeping a lookout. Yeah, I am. No, no, you're reading. You're, I walked right up to the truck and you didn't say anything. Well, because it was you. I, you. It might not have been me. But, but I saw you. But it might not have been. You didn't hail me. You didn't challenge me. You didn't do any of that. Well, no, Wyatt, because it was you and I saw it was you. So I didn't say, hey. Next time. Man coming towards me. I don't think you're Wyatt. Next time. It was you. No matter who it is, whether it's me or Cassidy or Zeo or whoever, you challenge them and let them know who you are and you get who they are, even if it looks like me. Do you understand? Why? I get, so I get in the woods if someone's approaching you, but we're sitting in the middle of a town square. Get in the habit. Fill these up. And he sets down the gas and goes back for the third one. Emma, this is a lot of fuel. You know this would run the rig for quite a while. It's a very efficient engine, but a town like this giving up this amount of fuel is surprising to you. Emma goes, climbs down, tosses the book back through the window of the truck, and I think picks up one of the containers and carries it at a time because they're heavy. (laughs) And time accelerates a little bit as Wyatt brings the last fuel tank and there's some awkward silence. When he comes back the second time, Emma, do you challenge him as he approaches? And he's coming back as Emma's walking back around the truck to pick up the second container. And she just waves real big and says, hi, Wyatt. And then picks up the container and turns around and heads back to putting it away. We see Wyatt nod approvingly. And... Emma fills up the rig and secures the rest of the extra fuel. And we see the sun pass along the sky as the shop is quickly organized. And we see Zeo and Cassidy coming back with a large armful of supplies and some sort of strange cooking utensil. It looks like a pot with a cord hanging out at the bottom. And you all are back together again. Hey! Identify yourselves. Wyatt. Wyatt. All right, there you are. Come on in. How'd it go today, everybody? We got our supplies. We are out of squares. So, you know, be aware. We have acquired a new cooking tool. Uh, The pot thing? Yes. What is it? The man in the shop invented it with the help of a local advent. Is that why we're all out of squares? No, we're out of squares because we bought food. I'm asking, did you pay extra squares for this? No. No! I'm just asking. We bartered. Good, good. You bartered for it. Yes. It cooks food faster. I believe that if we take some time to look at how it works, Zio holds it up and turns to Emma, we could find a way to be more efficient. Yeah, probably. Can I see that? Zio passes it to Emma. And Emma starts turning it over, looking at the different elements of it. Based on your knowledge of combustion and the parts that are visible, you must be missing something because this thing does not make sense. 
He demonstrated with one. He threw some raw ingredients in a pot, pulled the thing. It made a whir. Steam came out and food was ready. And they were ingredients that I picked, which means it shouldn't be a sleight of hand. So he called it wild tech. Who knows? But it was interesting enough. And Zio wanted a book. So I found a book. What book? I do not know the title. It is a history book. Okay. So we're out of squares, which means we got to get a job and fast. We got enough fuel to get out of here, but... So speaking of squares, also wild tech, we did get a job offer while y'all were all gone. Okay. Do tell. When you were walking towards the boats, did you see a wizard? You mean the advent? Yes. Yeah, I saw That is what he called himself. Cassidy snorts at the word wizard. Yeah, Zio tilts their head. Wizard? That's how he described himself. Yes, so... And that's what they are. Are they wizards? Yeah. They, they do technological magic. Mm. I suppose that is one way of looking at it. But it's not really magic if it's technology. But it is. Good argument. Look, I've seen things. I don't think you understand what I've seen out there. Wait until you see some of it. Yes, Wyatt. Let me tell you about the spider beast that's been chasing me for five years. What kind of job was it, Emma? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Zio. Basically, he lost his tablet and needs us to go get it. And there's a cloud of wild tech creatures. How big? How how big did he say? He said cloud. Cloud. He's he is come heading back this way because I said that I couldn't give the final go ahead for the job, so we can get more additional details then. But he did say he would pay us nine large squares. I'm so, what? Nine. Nine. Well, that's more money than we're going to get out of this town at all. I we could do four or five odd jobs and maybe get five out of this town. That's several months of food. Or, like, something cool and interesting in a bigger city. All right. Here's the deal. We can take this job. It's pretty low on detail, but we could take it. It's a solid nine squares. But we got enough fuel, we could ride off to the next town and maybe have better luck there. What do you guys think? Is there any reason why we should not help the Advent? I think we should, but like I said, low on detail. Who knows what a cloud is? I've seen a cloud that looks like a a cloud of flies that tore down an entire Jeep in less than five minutes. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that one of y'all would have better luck getting details than I did. But I've also seen a cloud of those as well that about the size of cats that flew around and shot at people. So like that's that's a lot. I suppose more detail is necessary to make an informed decision. Did he say where? North of the lake. Like I said, we're going to need lots more details. I can just go look. <laughs> this is kind of like I can go spot and you guys can decide what you make of his details while I go see what the real details are. It's not a bad plan. Do you want someone to go with you, Cassidy? Either way. But someone's got to be here to talk to the guy. I'll do it. We'll stay here. Emma, you can come with me, and we'll talk to the guy. Okay. All right, Zio. Let's go see some forest, and hopefully 
our enemy this time won't be close. That's recon. I don't want you to engage at all. At all? At all. We will not engage at all. With the cloud. With the cloud. I feel like I need to be more specific. You okay. need to go north, recon the area. Cassidy walks away to go get her bow out of the truck. Zio is nodding. Information. And do not engage with the enemy in any way. Yes. Other than looking at them. Yes. And gaining information. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. Repeat it back to me. We will go north of the lake. We will recon the area. Find the location where this cloud of wild tech exists. Attempt to locate the object lost by the advent and report back with information without engaging the target. Excellent. Thank you. You are welcome, Wyatt. Cassidy walks up and puts a hand on Zio's shoulder and goes, All right, we're off. Have fun. Don't... Make sure you take some food, Cassidy. I know what I'm doing. And Cassidy just turns Zio around and starts walking away. Emma. Yes. Come on. And so... Cassidy and Zio, you head out of town. The lake is not very big. You figure it'll probably only take 15 or 20 minutes at a jog to get close enough to start recon. And Wyatt and Emma, you give them some time to get out of town before heading down to see Modem. And he now has his sleeves rolled up almost to the shoulder. He's got a wrench stuck between his teeth. There's grease on his face. The engine is half disassembled, spread on the dock and the boat. And he's pulling what looks like it was once an air filter, but now appears to be mostly seaweed and mold out of the middle of this engine. And he looks up and he says, Oh, excellent, my mercenaries. Emma, what was this guy's name? Modem. Greetings, great Modem. And we see Wyatt do the left swipe. And he swipes right at you. And it flings a little bit of grease onto the ground from his hands, which are just caked in oil and mud. And they're just, he's very dirty at this point. I bring you an offering. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out literally just a sandwich. Bread and maybe some condiment on it and some meat and maybe the last of their cheese. And he holds out the offering to Modem. He raises his chin and looks down his nose and then grabs off of his belt a cloth and puts his hand under the cloth so he can grab the sandwich without touching it with his dirty hands and says, this offering is acceptable. I thank you, mercenary. And we thank you, great Modem. Emma's just standing there looking back and forth, very confused between <laughs> with this conversation. I take it from your offering that you have accepted my request. We have. What are your parameters? You must fetch my assistant from the north side of the lake where it is guarded by a cloud of wild tech. And you must tell me what amongst your gear causes the oracle to reveal a three. We will. Uh, tell us, what is this cloud that thou hast seen? I was unable to fully ascertain its specifications, being afraid for my life, but it was many smaller wild tech devices that blotted out the sun in their myriad and 
destroyed everything around them. Great Modeg, Great Modeg, uh, say unto us the size of which these things thou hast seen. Has, has they been the size of a hand, the size of a pebble? Why, it's Modem with an M at the end. I, I, what did I say? Modeg with a G. Oh, shit. Um. It's fine. He probably didn't notice, honestly. He's waiting patiently for this aside. I apologize, great Modem. Uh, tell us again the size of which thou hast seen. The cloud, the individual particles being the size of a diesel engine. Larger than any flying wild tech I have seen in mine day. And we're going to cut to Zeo and Cassidy. Zeo and Cassidy, you have made it to the far side of the lake. You are attempting to fulfill your assignment. What does it look like as you sneak through these woods towards whatever this is? Cassidy knows that somewhere up here there's going to be things that are a threat in a vaguely cloud-shaped whatever that mystical nonsense is. So she figures, okay, it's probably something flying. If it was threatening enough to this dude to have to, you know, run away or whatever, that means it was obvious because otherwise it would have just got him. So her plan is to walk gently, but not sneakily. It's basically start getting in the area and start listening and start tuning into nature and picking up what the sounds of her boots on the snow and the couple of birds that are out and the light breeze through the trees, listening for anything that doesn't fit with nature that would be a sign of anything else. She's ready to draw her bow, regardless of Wyatt's instructions not to engage. She's going to protect herself, but if it's something that this advent was scared of, mm, probably don't just engage it without thinking about it. I think that Zeo takes their cue on how sneaky to be from Cassidy's body language, and so they are moving in a similar fashion to Cassidy. But as soon as we cross into range, even if we can't hear them audibly or see them, Zeo hits that outermost range of the signal of these things and immediately stops moving and puts a hand to their head as though they walked into something. And Cassidy sees that quick motion and immediately moves to cover behind a tree. What's what do you got? There is a signal. It is very loud, even at a distance. That makes sense with it being a cloud of mysterious magic. What is it meaningful or just loud or what? It is noise. Just noise. Zio, in order to make sense of this screaming signal you're detecting ahead of you, make me a wild tech roll at average difficulty. So that's four green, two purple, yeah? Yep. Three advantages. Interesting. So you are not able to decipher. It's too much information at once. It's like a bunch of different voices yelling over each other, and it just makes it too difficult to parse what the heck they're talking about. But let's say with those advantages that you are able to triangulate pretty much exactly where they are and what their sensor range is. So you're able to lead you and Cassidy to some cover where you can see them and assess the situation very safely. Okay. Does Zio get a sense that this is any kind of intelligent tech 
the threshold for the intelligence of this tech, where is it? Is it like a a baby? Is it like a dog? Is it like a goldfish? It's hard to assess, but you do... Well, how much of assessing the signal have you done? Have you seen the signal of something that's smart? Have you assessed a mechanical baby? I'm curious now. I don't think so. I don't think there's been a lot of intelligent tech, is what I would say, in past experiences. You probably haven't felt a lot of intelligent tech. This feels like a hive. Even without being able to tell exactly what it is, it feels like a series of branching instructions. It doesn't feel logical. So Zio assesses the signal and is able to direct Cassidy in the direction of where the signal's coming from. And they continue on through the woods, approaching it. And Zio is having to adjust and recalibrate to make the signal less noisy in their head. And what we see is the two of you crouched in a thicket, looking out of a small gap. And you can see this large tree that has had most of its branches stripped off. And at the base of the tree, you can see a tablet with what looks like a little stick figure with its hands on its hips, tapping its foot. And all around it is this swirling column of drones. They look to be about two feet long and a foot wide, made out of a single solar panel. And they have helicopter blades at each corner. And hanging down is a little mini chainsaw on each of these. And they are slowly shaving away at this tree, making it into fine shards that are raining down into a pretty large pile around this tablet. And they move in perfect unison. It's like a murmuration of birds that turns in and out of itself without any sort of communication. There seem to be about 12, but they're moving in very tight sequence and they're almost like a wall or a column shifting around each other as they slowly take apart this tree. It would be very dangerous to approach, you feel. Kazi knows that the tablet is the mission and she bites her lip looking at the tablet and looking at the cloud of dudes thinking because it's not engaging if I don't shoot them. Zio cocks their head at Cassidy. How do you intend to retrieve the tablet without engaging them? Go fast and go sneaky? They will most certainly engage you. What are they looking for? They're chopping down trees. I don't look like a tree, she says as she looks down at her brown canvas jacket and green scarf. You do not look like a tree. However... If they have any kind of security protocol, they may attempt to chase you out of the territory in which they are logging. Well, how big is the territory? You said we you saw the edge of the thing when you hit it back there? Yes. That's not too far. I want to know... So they've got these little chainsaws, and they're chopping at this tree. Does Zio get the vibe that the machines are arbitrarily chopping down trees and logging the area? Or does Zio get the vibe that the machines are trying to get at the tablet and destroy it? They are not trying to get at the tablet because if they were, they would have by now. The way they're taking this tree apart is like watching someone who's anxious shred a piece of paper into smaller and smaller pieces. What they're doing isn't making anything particularly 
logical. They're not turning it into lumber. They're not cutting it down and moving it. They're just slowly taking it apart and picking up the pieces and taking those parts apart. Cassidy takes a quick scan. Are there like stumps or piles of wood chips around or do they just pick this tree and then they'll go off somewhere out of sight? The weird thing is the way that they're subdividing this tree, they're not making much progress. It's really big and they're doing really fine small cuts and occasionally dipping down into the sawdust and things. Okay, so it's not like we can just wait them out. Yeah, it's going to take a while, but there is cover on the way towards that. There are a few stumps that look like they have been shredded in the past and some bushes and things. Now that we can see the drones... Do they look like they were built for the purpose of logging or do they look like they were cobbled together? They look like finished tech. Cool. I wanted to know if somebody DIY'd this trash or if it was built for this and it's just freaking out. No, these are remnant technology or they were produced recently, but they are cohesive. They don't look cobbled together. In fact, the square part of their body appears to be made out of a solar panel so that they can operate indefinitely, which is concerning. That's upsetting. Zio looks at Cassidy again and says, I do not think this is a good idea. They're in cover, the two of them, but Cassidy's still looking at that tablet with hunger in her eyes. How do you intend to get it? What are the chances that you could try to distract them with whatever you're hearing them on. Distracting them would be engaging them, and Wyatt said we were not to engage them. No, engaging them is fighting them. If you just send them off in a different direction, it's not fighting. But it is engaging. Engaging is fighting. It's not whatever distraction I want to have you do. If you can, it doesn't count. Engage. Verb. Gerund or present participle. Engaging. To occupy, attract, or involve someone's interest or attention. To cause someone to become involved in a conversation or discussion, for example. Participate or become involved in. Arrange to employ or hire. Pledge to enter into a contract to do something. With reference to moving into position so as to come into operation. Enter into conflict or combat with an enemy. See, that definition is the one that we're working with. The first definition is to occupy, attract, or involve an attention or interest. No, but the second one was to go fight. The fifth one was to go fight. The fifth one was to go fight. I don't see what the problem is. Engage means fight. In some senses, yes, but in the first and foremost sense of the word, to distract them still counts as engagement. Look, I'm going to make a run for it and go try to do it. So... Then it's me engaging and not you, and it's totally fine, because you'll have to follow up when it inevitably fails, and we gotta come back later with firepower. Cassidy. But Wyatt, Wyatt said we couldn't, we weren't allowed to shoot at him, so I'm not gonna shoot at him. I appreciate your attention to that detail, but I feel that you may be willingly obtuse about the other aspects of this word. I don't know what you're talking about. See, you're doing it again. And we're going to cut back to... Modem gesturing broadly and saying, The cloud of wild tech is dangerous and sensitive. Whatever you do, do not approach until you are ready for combat, as they can detect the smallest pulse of life and appear to eliminate it as some form of subroutine. 
And Cassidy, why don't you make a roll either coordination or stealth? How far back was the edge of their territory? <laughs> Probably like 100 yards. Because I think that affects if going fast and just going for it is the plan. Cassidy is charting her course with her eyes for she's just going to go fast. She's going to try to grab this thing and she's going to try to get out. And the reason she's doing that rather than sneaking is because the wizard was close enough that he freaked out and dropped this thing, but he still got away safely. And even with Cassidy's side that still has a little bit of a hole in it, she's pretty sure she's faster than old doddering wizard. So she's just going to take a couple steps closer, look for the line, make eye contact with Zio, do the, I told you what I expect, regardless of if you're going to do it or not, look, and then makes a run out towards this cloud of death and the tablet. I think Zio is going to immediately start trying to like, make sense of the signal not to reach out and talk to them but they're trying to analyze the signal they're getting from the drones as quickly and efficiently as possible so that when the time comes for them to engage they'll be able to talk to these drones does that make sense mm-hmm. so they're not going to distract them they're just trying to like get a diagnostic on what the heck they're doing and how to talk to them so that when the moment comes they can do it all right what am i rolling here nick so you're going to roll your coordination. It's going to be a hard difficulty. All right. My coordination is a yellow and three greens. I got two successes and an advantage. Nice. So I think you're able to get the tablet. So you burst out of this thicket. As you approach, you hurdle your way over a couple of stumps. And as one, these 12 drones turn and you can see that they have little cameras on their chainsaws. And so they turn and they all point at you in unison and begin to come towards you. How do you dodge them and get to the tablet? Sure. So this is basically, it's a game of parkour almost. So Cassidy did not take a straight line route. What Cassidy was doing was charting the path between trees, looking at where those, how those trees would occlude her from this cloud of dudes in the middle of the clearing. Because based on Zio's conclusions, they're just noise. They're not thinking. They're just doing stuff, whatever it is they're doing. But they're not thinking, and that means that, yeah, she's going to get chased. But Cassidy can treat them like a deer that's being hunted, but opposite. So where a deer is going to run away and she takes the angles to corral it into a place where she knows with the terrain and she knows how to catch it. This one, they're going to fly in a straight line ever. So she goes in a straight line till they notice her and then darts to the first tree and then takes off backwards away to the next tree and then back around to the next tree and then cuts across behind them and then two trees over and then all the way around the whole clearing and then back straight line back through grabbing the tablet and then losing line of sight behind another couple of trees ducking down into a ravine and then coming back up a couple of steps later in a different spot just throwing off line of sight as much as she can knowing that these things yeah they're gonna chase her but even with how fast they are it doesn't matter if they 
hesitate every time she goes behind a tree. And you really get a feel for how they track and move. And you're able to scoop up the tablet. The 12 drones have scattered. You're able to force them to split up. And for a little while, they're not anywhere near you. And you're able to hightail it out. Zeo, you see Cassidy do a very confusing pattern between the trees and the drones go up into the canopy. And she grabs this tablet and just starts booking it back towards you. And you quickly realize that you need to go with her or you're going to be left behind because Cassidy is not slowing down. Cassidy bolts past Zeo. And Zio hesitates for like a millisecond and then from the kneeling crouch that they're in, bolts like a wild animal after her. If it turns out that Cassidy is not going fast enough, Zio is not ashamed to pick Cassidy up and run with her. That has happened at least once in our past already, I'm sure. And you all are able to make it out. Quickly, the buzz of these helicopter blades fades to quiet. They have struggled to keep up with you, and you assume, Cassidy, that they went back to cutting up their tree. This was a complete success. You're really excited about this. The one thing that gives you pause, Zio, is that you can still hear them. You're past that 100 yards, and that area of effect that you entered, you haven't found the perimeter for it yet, which is a little concerning, but they don't appear to be getting any closer to you. As we reached that point where the perimeter had been that they had sat and planned, Cassidy starts slowing down with a victorious smile, like she just won a sprint. As soon as Cassidy starts to slow down in her run, Zio reaches across the gap between them and grabs onto the edge of Cassidy's jacket and pulls up and forward and starts running faster. Cassidy picks up the pace again, Looks at Zio confusedly, but they're running at a flat out sprint, so it's hard to. She's having a hard time talking. I mean, Zio wouldn't, but. Zio notices Cassidy's face and says out loud as they're running, We are not out of range yet. I do not understand, but I can still hear their signal. And Cassidy nods and keeps running. We keep going for a bit, and as Cassidy's energy starts to flag again, Zio reaches over and scoops Cassidy up and books it for where the truck is. And we cut back to Emma and Wyatt and Modem, and I think the three of you are sitting on the side of the dock with your feet dangling just over the water, and Modem is biting into the sandwich, and he says, Yes, but as long as you are able to plan... I feel that you will be able to fetch my assistant without any lasting repercussions. Thank you, Great Modem. We will take time to plan and be prepared. Is this mozzarella? This is really good. You are welcome to it, Great Modem. We see Wyatt stand up and snap his fingers to get Emma up as well. And he turns to Modem and says, May the old and the new meet in you. And he nods graciously and says... As it does in us all. And Wyatt swipes left and looks at Emma. Emma is standing up and isn't currently looking up to see Wyatt look at her. Which Wyatt kind of nudges her and does the swipe left. Emma waves her hand to the left, but more in a wave. It's not the two fingers that Wyatt's doing. We'll work on that. Modem frowns disapprovingly before swiping right. This was a long conversation. 
Modem is a, likes to talk, and you can tell that the villagers don't give him the time of day, so he very much took advantage of people who would listen to him pontificate. And around this point, Wyatt and Emma, as you're heading back to the rig, you see Zeo just sprinting above human speeds out of the tree line, carrying Cassidy. I figured it was like a baby. And- yeah, it's a baby carry. Yeah, Cassidy's got her arm around Zeo's shoulders, like looking because this is a thing that has happened and she's not going to, she's going to maintain that 10% of dignity. Absolutely. It's adorable, though. So you're running, holding Cassidy like that, and Wyatt, you just see them booking it out. Emma comes up, even with Wyatt, and sees them. It's probably not good that Zio's running, right? No. No, that's not good. Okay. Get to the truck. Get to the truck right now. And that's when you see 12 drones rising out of the trees behind Zio and Cassidy, dripping bits of wood and leaves as with a shriek of helicopter blades, they descend upon the town of Wawa. End of episode. Commencing end credits. The following information will be placed in the show notes for your added convenience. This has been A Night of Shreds and Patches, an actual play podcast using the Genesis game system from Fantasy Flight Games. The show is edited by Sydney Whittington and features the talents of Drew Merzieski as Wyatt. Drew can be found on Twitter at Worlds to Forge and is the showrunner for Skyjack's Courier's Call an all-ages actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere, designed by James D'Amato. Ali Grauer as Zio. Ali can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Dreams to Become. Ali is also a player on and audio editor for Skyjack's Courier's Call. You can support both Ali and Drew by joining their Patreon at patreon.com slash whimsyartifice. Sydney Whittington as... Cassidy. Sydney can be found on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore wit. Cameron Robertson as Emma. Cameron can be found on Twitter at MidnightMusic13 and on Instagram at reading underscore and underscore dreaming. Cameron is also a player on Tabletop Squadron, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire actual play podcast and Nick Robertson as narrator. Nick can be found on Twitter at alias58. Nick is also the GM for Tabletop Squadron, which you can support at patreon.com slash tabletop squadron. This podcast features the musical talents of Dora Violet. You can find Dora at facebook.com slash Dora Violet. The official artwork for this podcast was created by Rashid Aldroka, who can be found on Instagram and ArtStation at RashidJRS. You can follow the Patina on Twitter at Akosap underscore podcast or visit the website www.akosap.com. Until next time, audio offline. <laughs>